Thank you, Eddie and Jennifer, for sure. Well, friends, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And if you have the Version app opened, you can go to our, the events page and look up our church's name and all of my teaching notes and scriptures that I'm going to be using this morning will be right, right there, okay? So Luke chapter 10, um, and as you're turning there to help me with my illustration today, I'm going to be reading to you the book called The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Anyone familiar with this book? Okay, just a couple. Good. So then, then uh, good. I, won't, I, I will introduce this to several of you uh, this morning, and the, uh, the pictures, the illustrations, as always, will be up on the screen, okay? All right, let's get going. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. The boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy. But time went by. And the boy, well, he grew older. And the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, Come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. Oh, I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time and the tree was sad. Then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy and said, Come, climb my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I am too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife and children, so I need a house. Can you give me a house? Oh, I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. Oh, I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. 
and the tree was happy. After a long time, the boy came back again. I am sorry, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. Well, my teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. Oh, I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb up. Oh, I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. The end. Today, our topic of discussion is going to be on generosity. Generosity. I want you to think for a moment of of maybe someone who may come to mind when you hear the word generosity or someone that you might describe as being generous. Does somebody come to mind when you, when you think of that, of that word that you would use to describe them? Um, sure, certainly there may be someone, someone who, who selflessly gave of themselves. They were, they were known for their giving they gave a lot of time. They, they gave a lot of their, of their effort. You know, they, they were here or they, they were present in your life to be able to, to do something or serve you in some way or to give or to help you in some form, some fashion. Maybe it was someone within the church that you knew that that person was a stalwart in the church. That person was here. You could depend upon that individual. That individual was going to be here whenever the doors were open. You knew that that individual was going to support what was going on or they were going to be there in that class that they were never going to miss the opportunity to teach or that opportunity to greet or that opportunity to serve and then whenever that person maybe in the past who maybe has passed you knew that there was something missing that there was a a a hole there was a a void there this is one of the things that you see at memorial services whenever you go in there and, you, and people start talking about the person and you start hearing how that person gave of themselves here or over here, over there. That person wasn't selfish. They were selfless in their giving. They were always helpful, always supportive. They were always there to give a helping hand. So today we're going to talk about generosity, generosity being a ministry from the heart. Generosity being a ministry from the heart because it truly takes someone with this type of heart or compassion or love, something that, that, is you, that you can tell is not everybody has it, but when that person that you say that is a generous person, there is no doubt everyone knows that that person loves to give that person is going to be giving. 
And so as you turn to Luke chapter 10, and after reading the giving tree, perhaps you see a little bit of a correlation maybe between the two when it comes to giving and giving more than perhaps what was needed or giving over and above what the normal person would have given um, if asked or if called upon. And Luke chapter 10, of course, being the place where the, the story of the Good Samaritan is given, where Jesus uses that illustration to help make a point or answer a question that was given him, it's certainly one of the most well-known parables that Jesus gives when talking about generosity. Amen? It, it absolutely is. So look down at verse 25. That's where this, this setting, the situation st- begins. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now notice here that in verse 27... It is not Jesus who is quoting that, those, 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 those promises or those premises, the law. It is the Pharisee that is doing so. And so he knows what he's supposed to do. The Pharisee knows what he is called upon by his faith to be doing. It, it, there's no shadow of a doubt there. And, but Jesus' reply is, do this and you will live. Now verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so the Pharisee asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and now here's the parable that Jesus gives. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, in this parable of the good shepherd... Uh, Pastor Tom Shepard says that we can see three philosophies at play here. You have the robber who says, what is yours is mine. The priest and Levite who says, what is mine is mine. And then the good Samaritan who says, what is mine is yours. Three different philosophies that are at play here. And, And this is at the heart of what Jesus is getting at as the man is asking, well, who should I love? What kind of neighbor am I to be giving to? And so Jesus presents these three philosophies. You see the robber who took for himself, the priest and the Levite who refused to give anything, and then you have this good Samaritan who 
who used everything that, that he had at his disposal to be able to help this person in need. And of course, all of this is to answer the point of that golden rule, to love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in sharing this story, he is helping us understand to what extent we are to give. And that extent is, our key word for today, generously. Generously. So I want us to see how generosity starts with a need. Generosity starts with a need. Now there are times in my life where when, when I'm going through my day and I miss something that is right there in front of me. I, have you ever done that before where you're looking for something and it's right there in plain sight but, and it's out of place. It's not where you usually keep it, but you're looking everywhere for it when it's right there out in the open. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Now, in, in my house, um, we, we have this thing and we've had, we've, we've had have this thing that, and I'll, sit, I'll be sitting there on the couch watching TV, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be hearing Marsha walking around the house asking, where is that? Going around asking all the kids, do you know where it is, where it is? I hear her moving things around, going from room to room, trying to find something. And I'm just sitting there just waiting. Waiting for the call. Doug, honey, will you help me for a second? What you looking for this time? And she'll tell me what it is, and then it usually takes what? 30 seconds, yeah. It usually takes about 30 seconds. Oh, there it is. How many times have we, have, we, have we done something like that where we're looking for something when it's, it, it really is out in the open? And it's right there for you to see it for yourself. And here, the, it, when it comes to this Pharisee who's asking Jesus this question, he has the answer. He knows the Bible reference. You know, he, he, he has the thought. He has the, 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 the religious thought. And he knows how to answer his own question. And Jesus just, in his great way, just says, well, how do you interpret it? And so he, he gives his, his son, basic Sunday school answer. And Jesus says, sounds like you got it. Go and do it. Sometimes we have the answer, but we just don't see it. We don't see the reality of it. How many times do we see a need, but, we, but when it, it goes into our eyes and, and starts bouncing around in our minds, we don't interpret it as a need, as in go and do likewise. It kind of just, well, I'm, I'm doing something and it just passes by. We have two religious leaders here. We have two religious leaders, a Levite who's responsible for the work of the ministry within the church, and we have a priest who is, who is there to, to do the, the sacrifices and those type of things for the church. And we know that they're religious figures, and they are on the road. They have somewhere they need to be, just like a lot of us, a lot in a lot of times. And they walk right past this person that's beat up, bruised, in the ditch, bleeding, um, who knows if he's alive or not. And Jesus says in his illustration, they don't just pass him by, but they pass by on the other side. Now, I've heard different interpretations as to why they may have done that. One is, is that, that that could have been a decoy. It could have been something to get him to, to go, and if they stopped to help him, that, some, that the robber would have then jumped out from behind the rock and, uh, and gotten them too. Or it could have been that they just didn't want to be bothered. 
And so they moved away just a little bit from the situation, from the person who was in need, so as to maybe act as if, well, I don't see anything. Because they're down there in the ditch and I'm on the other side of the road now. How many times whenever we are just so busy and so wrapped up in what we have to do that we just say, well, somebody in church will meet that need. Or somebody in the congregation will, will see that that, that that position will be filled or, or, or will give to make certain that that need is met. Or, you know, they, how many times do we, you know, see the need but we don't interpret it as something that we need to be meeting? See, generosity begins when we see the need. When we see the need as something that, that we should be meeting. Not brushing it off for someone else, but seeing to it that we meet the need. Here's what First John chapter 3 says. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. The Pharisee in Luke chapter 10, he had the Bible answers. He knew how to answer the question. But Jesus said, you have to take the next step and you have to begin living it out. I believe we all know that the word for love in the Bible has different Greek variations. And the one that, that I believe that is, um, when it's um, translated correctly, uh, we find in translations like the King James, when love is translated as charity. And we know what charity is. We talk about charities and charitable organizations and stuff like that and, and even today. But, but we don't use the word charity when when we're talking about scripture, we, talk, we use the word love. We use the word love, but Jesus used the word charity. See, to me, I feel like that with us using the word love and, and translating it as the word love, we have cheapened what love actually is, or we've taken away from its true meaning. And it is about being charitable, it is about us being giving. And so we use the word love, which has more of a feeling connotation behind it. Oh, do you feel love? How do you feel? Well, I feel loved. But there is an action that is to take place. And that is where the truer definition, the word is charity, is the better translation here. And we can't take verses out of the scripture like, 1 John 4, 8, that says, whoever does not love does not know God. We can't take those verses out because it is supposed to become a characteristic of the believer. That we recognize that charity, that generosity is to be exercised by he or she who follows Christ. That we take on the action of love, of giving. In Jesus' story, as he describes the Levite and the priest, 
they're not very charitable, are they? They, they, they might know all the, all the words, all the phrases to say, all the truths that there is, just like this Pharisee who's asking the question to Jesus. But they haven't allowed what they believe to affect who they are. Now, sure, there are times when I've had to turn people away who have come to the church to, to, to ask for help or ask for assistance, where, where I had to... I had to discern if that was a need that not only the church or myself felt like that that was something that, that, that we are set up to help. And those are tough decisions to try to make. It, it, it is not, it's, not a, it's not good to be placed in those, in those places. And you feel bad. You feel bad whenever you turn away or whenever you, you say you can't help or you can't meet that need. But can I help you with this? It, it's difficult to make those decisions. And I'm sure this church has had to make its fair share of decisions in regards, in, in regards to meeting needs when requested upon. And whenever I read a passage like this, I have to ask myself the question. You know, would I call myself a generous, charitable follower of Jesus Christ whenever I say no, whenever I am unwilling or whenever I refuse to or or whenever I don't stop to help. We have to guard against and we have to make certain that we do not develop a cold heart as a church. That we recognize that the generosity and that word charity and that what Jesus is telling this Pharisee in Luke chapter 10 that he must go and do, he's calling us to also go and do. What does he do? Well, before I get to that, let me, let's get to our next point here. Generosity is the result of compassion. Generosity is the result of compassion. If you were to say that there was a difference between the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite, it was because of the compassion of the Samaritan to stop. And, and just look at everything that he does here. He stops putting his life on the line in case if that was a plant and, and there was a robber behind the, a, a rock ready to jump out and, and then take what was his. So he puts his life on the line for a complete stranger. He, he has to bandage his wounds and then he pours on oil and wine. So then there's an expense there for him to take care of the man's wounds. So he pours on oil and wine. And then he puts the man on his own donkey. So he puts him in his own car. And he takes, them, takes him to a place where he can find rest. And while he's at the end, you see that he stays with him overnight. So now he's staying with him. So, so now his his journey has, has, has now taken a diversion. Now he's staying the night in this inn. And the next day, he, he leaves two silver coins with the innkeeper to pay for whatever this man needs. And then he says, and I'm going to come back to you and reimburse you with any extra expense that you may have. Let me tell you, you don't do something like this unless you have a heart of compassion. Unless you know how to love and, it, and really, usually, it's the person who has been loved to this extent that knows how to love in response. 
And Jesus is describing this person that is going, not just meeting a handout, but he's going over and above and beyond to ensure and to make certain that this man's needs are met. Now, one of the things that comes out of this passage when I look at it is that Jesus describes not just a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan here, but he's also showing that this is a Samaritan who is crossing over a line here to help a Jew. And if you know anything about the situation and the times, um, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jews and Samaritans did not have anything to do one another. And it goes all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 12. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 12, just to give you a little bit of history here, um, Israel divides into two nations. Israel to, is right, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Samaria is the capital of one. Jerusalem is the capital to the other. And, uh, and this was at the time of Rehoboam was the king. And Rehoboam introduced pagan worship into the Israelites. And they began worshiping false gods. And before long, the Assyrians come down from the north and take over Israel. And when they take over Israel, they begin intermarrying with the Jews that were there. And they began having children. And those children became known, and the generations afterwards became known as Samaritans. And the Jews to the south, those in Judah, they despised the Israelites to the north because they gave themselves over to another nation and began having children with pagan, a pagan nation that they knew all the way back from the time of Moses that they weren't supposed to do. And so if you look at a lot of the interaction and the parables that Jesus uses and references throughout the Gospels, a lot of times it's about that division between Samaritans and Jews. And whenever you take a, a, a look at, what, uh, at, at that core of that division right there, you see in this story a Samaritan who is stopping to help a Jew. In other words, he's, he's crossing over the division between these two groups of people in order to give selflessly. So when you look at the, the whole list of what he's done here in Luke chapter 10, not only, not only now did he, did he give of his time, that he give, gave of his resources, you know, and he made the promise to come back and help again, but he also crossed a barrier. And the Samaritan crossed over this barrier to help this, what, what really truly was a Jewish brother, uh, to, to help him in their need. Now, this would have been unheard of or unthink of, uh, unthinkable. The Jews wouldn't have touched a Samaritan, and Samaritans wouldn't have had any interaction with the Jews either. And yet, with Jesus' story here, as he's answering the, the man's question, who then is my neighbor, what is Jesus saying to him? It's not just a stranger in the street. It's not just a person with a need, but it's also a person that you are divided from. That generous, compassionate people don't see race or color or gender or nationality or economic status or, or the like. That they don't allow ridiculous arguments and divisions from the past to get in the way of showing compassion today. This story with the Good Samaritan isn't so simple, is it? It crosses lines, it crosses barriers, 
it, allows, it, it reminds us that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that he calls us to be generous and compassionate. This church has been described to me as being a generous church. And you've shown that in the year that I've been here. You've, you've shown that at times of, of being able to give and, and help meet a need financially. But let's, let's make certain that as we talk about generosity and as we, as we label it as one of our core values, I'm going to speak on those core values next Sunday on our Vision Sunday. Let's make certain that we don't limit what generosity is. Because generosity isn't about the handout. It isn't about giving cash or giving extra financial resources. Generosity means giving your all. So how do we as a church pledge, if we're going to call ourselves a generous church, how are we giving our all? And this is my next point. For generosity should be realized in a variety of ways. Generosity can be given in a variety of ways. And we see that here with the with the Samaritan. You can, you can give generously with your time. You can give generously with your prayer support. You can give generously with your service when you volunteer. You can give generously when you mentor, when you disciple. You can give generously as you counsel. Too often we, we, when we discuss generosity, we diminish it to what we can give financially. But generosity needs to be defined much, much more than that. Baking a dish and taking it over to someone when you know that they're having a difficult time and sitting at the table with them and allowing them to just vent and talk to you and just share with you the struggles that they're going through. Calling someone on the phone and just letting them, uh, just, letting them just spill out and, and just be the listening voice. If you know that there's someone uh, in, in your oikos who's running around with the wrong people on Friday night, that you sacrifice, you give up your Friday night to go do something with that person and keep them out of trouble. We need someone to lead a small group for 20-somethings here at the church. We need someone to help rally and encourage and disciple and to mentor young adults. We don't need to be stopping whenever they turn 18 and get a, diplo- and get a diploma We need to see that ministry carry on into their young adult years, especially as they get married and begin having children. And and we need to look honestly and straight to who's going to give their time to mentor young adults. We need to, whenever we, we, we define generosity... We need to look past just the, the financial gift, but also the time that I give up. When we give a little extra time to be here on Wednesday night to help children memorize scripture verses, you know, children don't see that as a sacrifice. Only you see that as a sacrifice whenever you give the extra time. Only you understand that that's a sacrifice. The child on the other end sees you as loving them. They don't think, oh, you just sacrificed some time for me. No, they see you giving time for them. 
A lot of times when we talk about generosity, we talk about what I have to give up. Well, that, that's a personal issue. That's a personal discussion that you, have to say, that you have to have with yourself. What time at night, you know, or, you know, or do I have to, whenever I leave work, that I need to go and be somewhere to help disciple or mentor someone? Or what am I going to do on Saturday? Or what am I going to miss out doing on Saturday because I need to be at that ministry? Or I need to be with that person and I need to speak into their life? We, we look at it as what do I have to give up? Turn that around and let's start thinking about what that person is going to receive because you gave generously into their life. Jesus doesn't talk about the person that was beaten and left for dead. He doesn't say, oh, he woke up the next day and, man, look at, wow, who did this? Who helped me? He doesn't talk about that end of things, does he? He showed the heart, he, he showed and he described somebody who understood that wherever he was going and whatever he could have spent those resources on, that it was better to see this man be healed. I wonder what he thought when he realized the man was a Jew. Is he going to decline? Is he going to hate me for helping him? What are other people going to say? But I have to get to this appointment but I need to use these resources to buy this. He didn't just give a handout. He didn't just drop him off somewhere. He gave time. He gave resources. He gave of himself. And then he promised that he was going to come back and make certain that it was going to be finished. My last point is this. Generosity goes further than you realize. And I think that in the era of getting used to just giving a handout, that we miss this important point when, it, when we refer to generosity and compassion. Just throwing extra money into the plate, that doesn't make you a generous person. It doesn't mean that you've sacrificed anything. This is how we know what charity is, 1 John 3.16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, I gave it the word that it was supposed to be given. And this is what we know what love is. But this is what we know what charity is. Going so far as to giving up your very life for someone else. And if we were to describe the differences between the Good Samaritan and the Jew then we must understand too that Jesus, knowing that people hated him and people were putting him on that cross, he gave up his life anyway for those who hated him, him because he loved them. And he loved us enough to shed his blood. I'm wondering, can we be that generous? Can we be that generous individually? Can we be that generous corporately? Can we be so generous that when somebody thinks about you, they think about someone who gave selflessly, who didn't hold anything back? See, when the Pharisee asked Jesus the question and, and, and Jesus asked him, well, how do you interpret Scripture? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus didn't even... Jesus didn't even bring up the first one. 
He didn't talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, did he? Did he? He didn't. It was the second part, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because here's the main point out of the Good Samaritan, is that your love for God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is realized in your love for one another with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can we be that generous? Well, we need to be. We need to be that generous. We need to be that charitable. But don't just demean it to the handout. Let it encompass all that you are. All that this church is. All that we are here to accomplish in the name of the Lord. Because here's how Jesus answers. Go and do likewise. Let's pray.